Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to episode 31, an unofficial salute by Graham McMillan and myself to Crazy Comics. We start by trying to map the Rat Pack onto the Justice League and end up, well, let's just say it's pretty hard to say for sure where we end up, but on the way to getting there, we talk Marsha Manhunter, Justice League Detroit, Tycho, Michael Fleischer's run on Ghost Rider, John Romita Jr., Little Punisher, and more. Skype gave Graham some problems, my headset gave me some problems, but hopefully levelator and noise removal technology is not giving you any problems at all. If so, please let us know. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. The best part about Skype ringing just there was that for some reason it didn't come through properly, so it just went, less, I was like, wait, you're trying to say this podcast is lesser? What, what are you trying to tell me? I, I, I don't like this. I don't like your, your judgment calls. You're editorializing. Yeah, Skype. Quit judging us, man. <laughs> Fuck off, Skype. <laughs> We've got semi-anonymous trolls on the internet who can do that for us. Hey, our trolls leave their names. Uh, Not that recent one. <laughs> Which one? I'm, not, I'm actually just looking at the comments right now. <laughs> the most recent one. Let's see. Farrell? Are you talking about Farrell? Yes. Yeah, it's Will Farrell. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Graham. That appears to be who it is. Did you like that I uh, found the um, the appropriate Zatanna panel for the... Yes, uh, and do you see how incredibly awesome it is? I did. Once I saw it, I was like, oh my god. Um... And yes, some very interesting sideburn action going on there with Zatanna too. So she's um, it's she's... Jeff. Hairy women were very popular at that time <laughs> of America, of American history. And that's said, It's it took me until someone pointed out in the comments. I've just read Superman really does look like Dean Martin there, doesn't he? Isn't that great? I love that. I comment. totally didn't get that. And then when they pointed out, I was like, yes, yes, that's entirely right. <laughs> Actually, it would be kind of awesome to like draw the the early '60s Justice League as the Rat Pack. <clears throat> who would be who? Uh, I mean, okay, we we can start with Superman, Dean Martin. So Frank Sinatra's Batman, right? Right. I think that that you pretty much got to go that way. Sammy Davis Jr. as the Martian Manhunter. Good. That's a safe safe pick there. Uh, Peter Lawford yes. as Green Lantern. Oh, I had him as Green Arrow for some reason. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, but th- it does open up the question of of who's Green Lantern then. Start running. So up. I'm running at Rat Packers. It has to be said. Yeah, no, me too. I'm like, okay, uh, we got what's her name as we got either Shirley MacLaine as Wonder Woman or um, she didn't really hang out with them nearly as much as uh, as what Steve and Edie Gourmet. <clears throat> right, so you I'm have... sorry. There's really someone called Steve Gourmet. That's Steve... not like a, a made-up television chef. No, no, no. Steve, Steve, and Edie Gourmet. They they were you know the couple, weren't they? Weren't they the couple that I, like, hung I, out with? The... I actually have no idea who you're talking about at this point. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Steve and Edie Lawrence. I'm sorry, but, but no, they were they were Steve and Edie. Oh gosh, I don't know. Uh, apparently, Joey, Joey Bishop is apparently the one we've forgotten. Ah, oh, thank God, and he can be Green Lantern. Okay, wait, who's the Flash? Shit, 
God damn it. How many more members of the Rat Pack? I, uh, to say nothing of who Snapper well, I, I, is. Well, according to Wikipedia, the only male missing is Norman Fell, who I don't think I've ever heard of before. Okay, Norman Norman Fell, he was like Mr. Roper from... Uh, yes, from yes, he was. Back. Apparently he was, for, for a short time in the 60s, a member of the Rat Pack. What? That's that what is... it says. Again, it's Wikipedia, you know. Actually, I, I really, I really big Norman Fell met, fan might have just come in in the middle of the night and had it on. Just sort of, <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you could put, you could put John F. Kennedy as as Green Lantern, and then oh god, I can actually see that horrifyingly. I know, right? It works. That kind of works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I think I would probably make uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Snapper Carr. No, Sammy's got to be the Martian Manhunter because if you look at the original JLAs. Mm-hmm. Like the Martian Manhunter is quite clearly being drawn as a black man. Really, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced there's some weird like racial metaphor being going on. Have I never told you this before? No, I, you I, never. I, I don't, I don't my know, mind I don't is blown. Why I think this, but I've always like since I since I first saw the Mike Skowski Justice Leagues, mm-hmm. I was like, he's drawing the Martian Manhunter as a black man. I don't know why. Well, my goodness, that is something that I have never. Uh... It might just be me. Like everyone else on the internet, might be like, I think Graham's high. But I've always, all like ever since I first seen the Mike Skowski Justice Leagues, I've thought that. Hmm. Well, uh, I I don't. It's kind of interesting. It never occurred to me. So I'm like, maybe. I mean, it's, it's sort of. It's not impossible. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I don't know, Graham. That I mean, it sort of makes sense because it's sort of a. You know, a quick and easy way to get you know a, a, an outsider character in there. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like it was some sort of like other, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, the other and the idea of prejudice and you know stuff like that, while being um, you know able to not get any problems from like I don't know comic book newsstands in the deep south or whatever. So, huh? That's a that's a fascinating little theory. I forget. Have you read that? Um, that great Martian Manhunter limited series by oh the Jared Jones Eduardo Barreto one yes no I've not and I keep keep trying to find it back issues oh my god really you haven't read that is actually one of the best and it's it's kind of amazing because I love the character and I love Jared Jones yeah yeah it's it's great it's really really great it's brilliant how much he turns the 50s into this grand conspiracy theory and throws in like this William F. Gaines analog and uh, God, I'm trying to think if there's if there is actually an, an, an equivalent to the, to the Rat Pack. It's been so long since I've read it, but it was just it really was. It was brilliantly done. And I mean, it was it was kind of difficult to sort of consider, I guess, canon, I suppose, which shouldn't be such a big deal except you know the, the poor martian manhunter he's had so few appearances outside of justice league it seems like and you know everything keeps flopping around uh the the origin on him every time he does um yeah but, this is this is the martian manhunter story that does not take place in justice league i'm not the last of my race after all <laughs> that's it and it's such a shame it's actually funny we're talking about martian manhunter because um Hibbs's complete takedown of Brightest Day last week mm-hmm. um, on, on Savvy Critic completely mirrored my response to reading that issue, apart from two things. One, it made me reread a bunch of back issues in, a, mm-hmm. in one sitting. 
and it reads so much better. Not still necessarily great, but it, it like you're actually like, oh, there is a through line. Because uh, I was like him, I was like, I have no idea where they're going, and they've got three issues left, and this is a mess. Um, and I didn't feel that after reading all of them in a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it made me realize how much I just love the Martian Manhunter. Ah, interesting. Well, so do you um, do you have theories as to where Brightest Day is going to go? Do you follow with? I, I thought one of the the commenters uh, in the thread kind of did a great job of sort of mentioning the whole like, oh yeah, I think they're going to be like the reformation of like a new Justice League. And, and I've thought that since the start, just because it's like the the main Brightest Day characters. Like if you're taking the books to tie in as well, mm-hmm. you've got Green Lantern. The Flash, Green Arrow, Hawkman, Hawkwoman, Firestorm, and the Atom. Right. You know, that's the Justice League. Right. <laughs> Especially when the Justice League, and I like what Robinson's doing in Justice League of America right now, but that Justice League is, you know, Dick Grayson, Batman, Donna Troy, <laughs> Jade, uh, Jesse Quick, Kong Gorilla, <laughs> and the 1970s Starman. It's you know, kind of which, a- which one of those is more likely to be a Justice League book? It's sort of a shame that it's not a Congorilla Jr., you know, with that lineup, you know? Um, <laughs> Gorilla or something there, like that. There is a spin-off to happen. Congorilla Jr. Congorilla Jr., son of Congorilla. Uh, well, the Justice League thing, but also someone mentioned the, the Elemental. Hips was the one that mentioned Elemental, and uh, I think this would be terrible if this happens. And honestly, I, that did not occur to me. And I was like, I would actually completely be into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. It ended up being the new Guardians, right? You know. <laughs> God, that would be awesome, dude. And what if they bring back Swamp Thing back into the DCU at the end of the series as as the Earth Elemental? Well, the problem with that is the Earth Elemental seems to be as Martian Manhunter. If that if that through line goes through, because uh-huh. John is the one who has protected the forest. I'm the one who was swallowed up by the Earth in the end of the last issue. Ah, okay. <clears throat> well, then, and, uh, so, um, that, the the point of that issue is he chooses Earth over Mars. Ah. He's he's given a choice by the White Lantern that essentially says like choose which planet you belong to, hmm. and he goes to Earth. Ha! Huh. What happens if he chooses Mars? Just out of curiosity. There's there's you have no idea. <laughs> so I mean, Mars isn't established as being. Hold on, Mars is essentially dead by the time right. that he makes his choice. He, um, in a surprisingly, one of these, like, it's surprising, but it's also not surprising when you consider who's writing it. And a surprising scene, he just kills off his arch nemesis. He flies her into the sun and, and like, she burns up. Huh. Um, but this happens after, like, the two of them have been fighting and she's given him this flash fake future where Mars still exists. And Mars is living again, and he's rejected it. And oh, then fights, and, and she basically comes across as like completely delusional. And she's like, "But I'm pregnant with your baby." And he's like, "I'm a mind reader. You're totally not pregnant with my baby. You're just nuts." And then he kills her. And then the White Lantern says, "Essentially, you have to choose between Earth and Mars." And he goes, "I'm going back to Earth." I'd never been as scared about Jeff Johnson's dating life as I have after hearing that synopsis. Are you really? All that stuff actually happened? You're just not, this isn't like not only installment. No, no, no. All, all that stuff actually happened. Oh my God. There's like, me. also that stuff basically comes from two issues because Brightest Day's pacing has gone crazy <laughs> in the second half. Um, 
Like, if, if you follow the, like, if everything happens, it's supposed to happen at the same time, you know, like, everything from one issue happens at the same time as everything else from that issue, mm-hmm. then um, the Marshman and his nemesis have been fighting for maybe a week. <laughs> <laughs> and at what point did they knock boots to even make the getting pregnant part, like, an option? Well, they didn't, except they might have, because for at least part of it, he was in this fancy world... And you don't know what happened while he was in the fancy world. <laughs> so Martian Manhunter got roofied, is what you're saying, and basically, yes. Basically, that is entirely what happened. Wow! And then he kills the alien Martian who roofied him. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm curious if she's crazy and she actually believes that she has his. He's carrying his her she's carrying his baby, how would he know via telepathy? Is it one of those things where he couldn't read the baby's thoughts? No, it's, it, he basically like reads her mind and is like, you're insane. Huh. Well, like, I'm not even sure he actually checks as much as he's just like, I've read your thoughts or whatever. <laughs> Again, just go with it. Yes. Hang on, I'm actually going to try and find the issue so I, I can see if there is a line of I usually do think... <laughs> I do think Brightest Day, Just Go With It, would be an excellent, like, omnibus title or something like that when they get them collected with it all once. What happens? I'm going to try and find the part. Volume 1, Brightest Day. Just take my okay, word he for says, it, okay? Okay, he says, it's time I did a little mind invasion of my own. And then he says, as I suspected, your deep desire has convinced yourself of conceiving there is no baby, it's a phantom child. Huh. So... He did it through telepathy somehow. Actually, it'd be kind of awesome if there was a phantom child. You know well, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like the Phantom Lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Phantom <laughs> Stranger, Phantom it's Stranger Junior. You know what I mean? Like it's it's possible. Now we get back to uh, the, the pitchy and Brill and I once came up with by bantering back and forth that Adam Strange and the Phantom Stranger should team up to make the Phantom Stranger, or rather Adam Stranger. Adam Stranger, that's good. Or Strange and Stranger, I think. Strange, be. see that? See, it's gold. <laughs> That's like my um, Ralph Dibney Ghost Detective series. I was convinced should be called Dead Man and Wife. <laughs> Dead Man and Wife. That's actually that's also fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm I'm pro pro that. Uh, yeah. See, this is the great. You know, it, it really the thing that's I think is kind of awesome about DC is there's kind of you can think of like incredibly crazy ideas and be like, yeah, they could. That, that would actually that that could be a good series <laughs> that, for that DC. Could work, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like you never, I never have that about Marvel. You know what I mean? Like I, I and I, I don't think most people did. So that I remember, in fact, back when Young Avengers was announced, like everybody. Oh, I remember just, the complete backlash. Everyone was like, Young Avengers, right? What? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> Teenage superheroes are for DC. <laughs> like I remember even thinking that myself, and also when I look back at it, I'm like, why? Right. No, I was the same way, though. I was totally the same way. I'm like, no, that's not the way it happens. But yeah, like you said, there's some weird sort of unconscious lines of branding, I guess, that happen such that you're just like... I I have no idea. But just it's funny when you were like, you know, you can come up with these DC stories. I have been obsessed with DC 1 million like this past week. Oh, really? Um, It's obsessed in particular because I've realized if I was ever, if for some reason, like everyone in DC got horrifically drunk, and gave me an issue of Batman Incorporated. I know what I do with it now. Oh yeah, you take Batman back to the 853rd century, and you know how DC One Million they have Justice Legion A. 
Yes. Which is the just as Legion B is Batman Incorporated in the 153rd century. Actually, Batman Incorporated in the 853rd century is is a fine fine title itself. I'm like, it reminds me, it's like a Daffy Duck cartoon or something like that. I'm just like, wow, that's that's brilliant. Because um, you can actually say that out loud to people who don't read comics and see if their brains explode or not. You know. Um, speaking of which, do you want to tell me about Emerald City Con or or alternately we can of course. Emerald City Con completely broke my mind. I kind of said this to you in an email, didn't I? You um, did, yeah. The, the weird thing about Emerald it actually really did, I should say this up front, it broke my mind to the point where I actually couldn't do my CBR column yesterday because I was trying to write about Emerald City and every single time I tried to explain how I felt, it, I, like, broke down. I could not <laughs> write it. Um, it, was, it was really weird. I ended up having to email Kevin. I mean, like, I, I don't know what it is. I... Yeah, I'm con hangover, maybe I'm getting sick. I literally just can't pull birds in order today. Hmm. Um, anyway, Emerald City Con broke my mind. Uh, probably because it's... I always think it's the first con I've been to that I've not worked at for about five years, but that's not true, because I did WonderCon last year. Mm-hmm. But WonderCon, I was trying to get work, so it felt like working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, uh, that is whereas, working. Like, I had no agenda at Emerald City. Mm-hmm. Um, which was great, but also really weird. Like I felt aimless in a way that I didn't. Nor- I don't normally feel aimless. Yeah, um, and it, I really was like enjoying it, but also kind of like something's wrong for the entire time. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I can totally imagine because it it is. It's kind of that whole like once you work a con and you're covering it, it's like. Uh, it's like the first time you go to like a show and like spend all your time in the mosh pit, you know? It's yeah, like, exactly. Once you're out of it, you feel completely like, wait, this isn't, you know, it's not really happening anymore, you know, even though that's not at all the case. So, um, no, it's, it's a completely different experience. And it, that that's what this one was for me as well. It was, it was really, really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also. And this is the reason I was going to write about it for CBR. It was great because unlike something like a WonderCon or a San Diego, um, there's no hierarchy, if you like. Mm-hmm. So, like, people who do comics you've never heard of have mm-hmm. the same size table as Jonathan Hickman or Matt Frack or Bendis. That's great. And they're all pretty much amongst each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there is something really, really good about that. I mean, sure, publishers had booths, but DC's booth wasn't appreciably bigger than like Omi's. Hmm. That's great. And and there really is something lovely about that level of democratization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Which might be a word I've just completely invented. Um, <laughs> I said it, and I was like, "Is that the right word?" Uh, it was. I mean, it was also great to meet um, to meet Allison and to meet uh, Chris and to meet Dean Tripp. And by the way, Dean is coming to WonderCon apparently if you are you're a kind of DC fan you're not as big a DC fan as I am but Dean Trump will break your heart with um, his ideas for DC Comics that that he's not already like hired and making all these things happen I'm oh. not joking it, it, I think more than anything I said to him oh god that should happen <laughs> <laughs> I mean really it was just he's I mean he's got this and I'm not really telling tales out of school because he said he might put it up on um, Project Rooftop at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got this little flame pitch that will remain with its its rightness. 
I, I'm sorry, a which what page? Lois Lane pitch. Ah, thank you, thank you. Skype went blur blur at that particular moment, so. Um, yeah, he's got this Lois Lane pitch that will, honestly, it's just so right. It's not just that it's good, it's completely, it's the Lois Lane story that Lois Lane fans have always wanted to read. And it's huh. just, it really is, you're like, oh my god, that's completely wonderful. That's fantastic. Uh, yes, I will, um, if nothing else, I will pester him for it, uh, when I, if, if slash when I meet him at WonderCon. Um, <clears throat> that does sound fantastic. Speaking of Lois Lane and pitches, uh, did you see the thing over on Bleeding Cool where, um, Rich ran part of the, you know, Wade Morrison yes. payer pitch? Yes. And compared it to Spider-Man, I had never actually read the pitch. I didn't know that it was sort of circulating on the um, the internet. So I... it, it's been around for a couple of years, I think. Right. Because there was the longest time where all I could find were people talking about, mm-hmm. as opposed to actually the thing itself. And I, I remember just being infuriated. I was like, "No! If they've got it, why do I not have it? What? Why?" <laughs> and then that's changed. So you've actually read the whole pitch, huh? Yeah, like it, it, it was it was up on a on a, a page at least for a while. I couldn't tell you where, but I remember the whole thing was up for a while, mm-hmm. and it was lengthy. Yeah, well, I can imagine considering the excerpt that he ran was just one portion of the toward the conclusion of the the whole status quo reboot. Um, and I I have to say I really admired the kind of the. What's the right word? I mean, because, you know, it, it seemed appropriately Supermanish, you know, because it wasn't, I want to say that what I liked about it was the elegance of it, but really it was convoluted as hell, but convoluted in a proper Superman sort of way. Oh, yeah, yeah. It fit, it fit with Superman in a, in a really weird way. Right. Just like even even the whole thing of, of Mitzelplick saying, like, even if I want to help you, I can only cause mischief in this dimension, you know. And I was like, "Oh, that's that's very, that's very cool." Uh, Although that's also that's really ripping off Earth Two. Uh, yes. Central the central idea of Earth Two is that the, the crime syndicate can only well not cannot can only do bad, but essentially their dimensions are dimensions where bad will always prevail. Yes, in the same way as and you can't think too much about this for the DC universe because it kind of breaks the DC universe. The DC universe is a universe where only good can prevail, ultimately. Right, right. Yeah, which does have that little element of like, but, what? Yeah, no. But, um, but it's, it's one of those things that completely works in Morrison and actually really underlines Final Crisis really well. Because mm-hmm. Final Crisis evil wins when everything breaks down. When reality is breaking down, it's the one time that evil has to win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. Exactly. Like I mean, I said, again, as soon as you take it out of Grant Morrison books, you're like, wait. So what about all those other things? Right. You right. know, it only works if you only read Grant Morrison books. Well, it only works if you only read Grant Morrison books, and if you think like, I mean, not only does it break that idea, but it really, in theory, it breaks. Oh, it takes um, away. It takes away the tension in almost exactly. every story. Exactly. Uh, because because good will prevail. But again, it comes back to, and we kind of talked about this last week, readers know that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not so much taking away the tension as underlining the fact that we all know that tension isn't really there. 
Well, you know, I mean, I think everyone's gone to huge lengths to blur it now. So I think there's ways in which you're never entirely sort of sure. I think, you know, because I honestly, I don't think that necessarily people would um, play by that steadfast rule. I'm more fascinated by the way in which Morrison believes that um, and is willing to more or less put it up front and the ways that he then goes about sort of recreating the tension to it, you know, um, it, it sort of reminds me of like back in the old days when it was kind of this whole idea of like, well, you know, the hero's not going to die, but, you know, you get people and you get them involved, you get readers involved with the supporting cast and the supporting cast are the ones that really go through the wood chipper, you know, or uh, once they start dating the hero, I guess, end up in the refrigerator. But, you know. But I mean, even even before that, it was it was pretty consistent. Like it was kind of like, oh, okay, this is the the ring of supporting characters, and if they're lucky, they will leave the book before they get you know aced or mutilated or end up becoming you know so and so's like uh, arch nemesis. You know. Um, and so. you, first of all, you saying that has made me want to ask you if you read Takio, the Bender's Omen All Ages book. No, I didn't. I had no interest in it. I think I told you, I'm 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 impressively Bendis free now. I don't think I've read anything by him. Bendis free since 2003. Exactly. Um, I read Takio in part because I was like, it's going to be Bendis trying to push himself. Uh, it's, you know, he's writing for a new audience. You know, wait, wait let, let me finish. I was like, I believed his, his self-hype. I believed his, everyone we've shown it to has said it's wonderful, it's a step forward, all of that. And I read it, and it's appalling. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons it's appalling is that there is nothing original about the plot, down to the uh, lead character's best friend becomes her arch nemesis by the end of the book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems so hackneyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and seems even if it's for like teenage girls, they know that. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's there's no element of, oh, I didn't see that coming. Um, (laughs) And there's absolutely no character work given to it. It's pretty much like, I'm your best friend. Oh, wait, I'm your enemy. (laughs) Uh, The other reason it's terrible is the storytelling is appalling. (laughs) I mean, truly, truly, truly shitty. Yeah. Uh, It's just not good. And the dialogue is Bendis, absolutely no exceptions made at all. Yeah. Um, and my last thing to rag on it is the main characters are named after Matt Fraction's wife, Michael Oming's girlfriend, and Benz's daughter. Yeah, which is which weird. really jumps out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're like, hey, he's talking about Kelly Sue and Tacky. Oh, wait, this is kind <laughs> of weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I. I... It was one of those things where I read your your um, takedown of it at tit, at Techland, uh, and I was really like, I mean, I, I I have to say like it's it's one of those like sad days where it's like you get to because you're like an old man grump that just sits around going ah, I knew that would suck like there wasn't really much joy or surprise in in hearing about it. I mean, it's kind of a shame considering that that Bendis working with Omin. Uh, their run on powers is the book by Bendis that I read ended up have ended up reading the longest. Um, and also of course, you know, his, some of his ultimate Spider-Man stuff is, can be actually very good. I think in a, 
Uh, well, that, that's just that Ultimate Spider-Man, I think, is a great kid's book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. It's and definitely... so for him to go so tone deaf in Takio is... Yeah. Which really was genuinely surprising. Yeah. And I, I've not got a lot of love for him at all. I mean, I think he's generally a really interesting writer, even in his failures. But Takio is just a mess. Yeah. And it's not even an interesting mess. It's just a mess. Yeah. Well, and the thing that, to me that really sucks about that is that, that because it's a mess, that, you know, it, when it doesn't succeed, it's going to be used as a justification for... You know, oh well, the marketplace really isn't ready and susceptible to these ideas. And... Well, my my worry is that it will be the opposite; that it will succeed uh, commercially, and that the readers who are given these books by well-meaning comic fans are going to be like, "This is shit." Yeah, well, so I mean, welcome to the comic fan non-comic fan relationship 2011 right you know yeah i know but it's just like i i feel this is going to get a big push and Mm. i feel because of the names it's going to get a big push and i wish the big push had come for something that was good Mm. yeah no i agree i i absolutely agree um but like i said i i'm more worried about the idea that it does that it then tanks and people are like well see that's just that's not something that the marketplace wants. You know, that's not I mean, something here's, that here's something that's interesting to me, though, because I don't think Marvel can do that. And I think Marvel would be the only ones who try and do it. Uh, try and try and push it or try and, and try, try and try and yes, try and write it off. Oh, OK. Yeah. No, certainly. Because I don't think Marvel can because they're owned by Disney. And so I don't think Marvel can really try and make the argument publicly that comics for kids aren't going to work. Mm hmm. Because mm-hmm. I, I I don't think Disney will think that's cool. Or Pinsway, you'll probably see like Tom Brevoort saying it on a CBN CPR call. <laughs> and then you'll spend like two months after that talking it back. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to be that sort of thing. Because... With the hashtag, while my career lives. <laughs> <laughs> With that hashtag, I know what I said was really clear, but it wasn't what I meant because I am now telling you. That's a great <laughs> Tom Brevoort's favorite hash in my <laughs> I totally want to create a hundred and forty eight character like hashtag now just so that I can like say like no and okay and then just attach that whole thing. That'd be delightful. Uh yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, 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 f- I find um I, I don't know. I you know, I, I think you're I think you're right. I think the thing that, you know, I had the interesting experience of um, uh, Edie's actually just finished reading um, How to Understand Israel in 60, 60 Days or Less. Uh, Which I really liked. Did she like it? Well, I, I haven't found out yet. And in fact, because you really liked it, I picked it up and I had it out. Um, but, uh, you know, whenever I sat down to start on it, inevitably I would end up reading, you know, storylines about, you know, Ghostwriter, the flaming hobo, uh, <laughs> instead. And priorities, so I, Jeff. Priorities. I know. I know. My priorities are, are pretty shot in a way. But uh, so she ended up picking it up, and uh, as far as I know, has been enjoying it. But she hadn't made it all the way through. But um, you know, that's one of the great things, like about the the width and breadth of the comics market. You know, is there's a lot of stuff out there that you can pick up and just have around and people will pick it up and start reading it on their own. You know, you don't really have to be kind of quite the active, 
uh, comics enthusiast that you used to have to be back in the day? You know what I mean? Or did you not go through that? Did you never try like in college or anything like? No, that was that was that was definitely not me. I I never tried that, Uh, especially in college. Like I was. I don't want to say embarrassed, but I definitely wasn't pushing my comic geekdom. Um, I remember there was an ex-girlfriend who very excitedly was like, what's this? Uh, And it was Kill Your Boyfriend. And like, she completely fell in love thanks to Kill Your Boyfriend. (laughs) Um, And I was like, that's great. I'm so glad it wasn't, you know, Justice League or whatever else. (laughs) Exactly. Something really embarrassing. Like, oh, Teen Titans, why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I, I I never pushed. Uh, comics on on people the the, the, like sort of flip side of that is I'm not sort of like a first line of defense for Kate Mm -hmm. Kate will be like oh is that good you know what are you reading should I read that for a lot of things right (laughs) and most of the time your answer has to be oh god no (laughs) guess what I picked up talking about oh god no guess what I picked up at Emerald City because there was a there was a stall that has to be said I found just as I was leaving, and if I had been there another day, I would have bankrupted myself. Um, one dollar back issues. Oh yeah, that's that always hurts. Uh, and okay. guess, guess what I found? I'll give you a clue. We've talked about it in the past in this podcast, and you were very surprised I hadn't read it. Story of O. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna be a jerk because of course my memories Sur- for crap. surprisingly not. Um, Steve Hearts just like Oh, wow. Okay. I'll, I'll give you a clue. It's not very good. <laughs> Hint. It's kind of terrible. It's, really? It's really terrible, but it does include my favorite retcon for, that exists for no reason, and I don't think will ever be picked up by anyone else, which is Gypsy from the Justice League Detroit is a god. What? Yes. Oh, yeah. That definitely got dropped. Uh... Really? Yes. Uh, of? Do they say like inappropriate clothing? Um, like bad share songs? No. Ba- like- basically, she pretty much says, um, like, like all the gypsy people, I'm much more magical than I appear. And there's a caption that's just like, "One of us is a god," and it's quite clearly not Big or Stealer Vine. <laughs> Maybe she meant one of the gypsies is a god. No, 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 no. She means one of the Justice League. Wow, so that was like a subplot that was just put on boil forever, huh? Well, it's a subplot that appeared, I mean, what, 20 years after the Detroit League was being published in a flashback story? (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, the flashback stuff. Right, 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 right. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, Sorry, context now. Yeah, I would have have nowhere. It was was stunning. Um, Wow. the interesting thing is he had for two of, so basically he's it's four issues and each issue is focusing on a different member of the the new characters introduced um so it's steel in the first issue then it's vibe then it's fixing then it's gypsy right the steel and fixing issues mm-hmm. are actually really good mm-hmm. but the vibe and gypsy issues are terrible and the overall plot is kind of bad as well so overall kind of a, a failure kind of a failure huh? the overall plot for some reason brings back the original royal flush gang only to kill them off Oy vey. why would they, why would he kill them off I, and for that matter what do you mean by bringing them back Aren't, don't they just inevitably pop up or I have no no because there, there's another royal flush gang because the second royal flush gang are in as well uh, they're responsible for the deaths of the first one huh 
Hmm, that's really funny. That sound, that rings some bells. That was something that happened in Justice League? Yeah, Justice League Classified. Oh, okay. Or huh. JLA Classified, sorry. Hmm. Um, yeah. Weird. Uh, well, anyway, that's that's really funny. You know, the Royal Flesh Gang, like, I remember reading those original appearances of the gang, and there's something that's just so, like, elegant, I guess, in a way, of their appearance, you know, because it's just people running around with, like, you know, the sign of their suits on their white outfits or whatever. And then, of course, you got the, the kings and the queens. I just remember, was it, is it the ace of spades, ace of clubs, whoever that ace is? For them. Oh, they're, they're, oh, he, I don't have the issues now, right? Now. It's changed from one to another. Like the first team, the first one, the second team is another. That's actually mentioned in dialogue. See, there's just something that's great about that. Uh, you know, I know like, it's, it's, it's very, um, Steve Englehart is nothing if not obsessed with continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is very, very obsessed with DC continuity in minutia. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, about this gang in particular? Or just I, no, the whole thing. Other piece. The whole thing is, is, I mean, again, it's the Detroit League. Apart from, like, me and Jerry Conway, I don't think anyone else really cares about the Detroit League. <laughs> uh, and so for him to do, like, a four-part story, where, again, he turns one of them into a god. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, knowing it's kind of what I'm sorry, knowing Englehart, I think you're kind of lucky that Steele didn't end up like being retconned into the lost member of the Metal Men. You know what I mean? Like that's just so oh god, that Englehart would have been so was. great. <laughs> <laughs> I also picked up the um, Genesis John Burns crossover series from the late '90s, uh, in part because it's one of the few DC crossovers I've never read, and again, it's a dollar each. Huh. Um. And that, again, not very good. Yeah, that that rings a bell, kind of. It's but... the one where um, he basically redcons everyone's origin <laughs> in one fell swoop, uh, ties it all to the fourth world, mm-hmm. and kills a high father. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, if it I says, remember it was if it says It's because it leads into, or rather, it's led into by... Justice League, uh, JLA issue 10, which is the first part of Morrison's Rock of Ages, mm-hmm. uh, with a, it's literally like completely laid into it, and then it's never mentioned again in the rest of that storyline. Which, when I read it as a trade, I was like, I have no idea what happened to this whole there's a cosmic wave coming and it's depressing. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I just, in fact, I remember at the time, like, so not paying attention that I thought the cosmic wave ended up being. Uh, Mageddon or whatever for the for the end of Morrison's run or something like that. I just really wasn't paying attention. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's, it's it's part of this, and it, it's um. And so his recon is basically everyone's um superpowers come from an aftershock of the creation of the fourth world, mm. from the death of the the third world, I guess. Uh, but. Because it couldn't be that straightforward, <laughs> right? The fourth world half got born in a big bang, and so the shockwave came out. Then the shockwave bounced back, and it's the bounce back that created every, that gave everyone their superpowers. Oh, and because then, of the overlapping of yeah, the shockwave or something. God knows. And then it's for some reason coming back again, and that's going to destroy reality. Yeah, it's 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 needlessly complicated. Right, 
Right. You know, I, it's such a shame. It is really, it's very weird that, that burn stuff just got so dull, you know? I, in fact, I was really super resistant to pick up that Tales of the New Gate God's Trade because he had written, you know, a lot of the, those backup stories behind while he was doing the, um, the Orion series. Wait, did, did you, did you pick it up? Yeah, uh, I well, checked it out of the library and read it. Because I was going to say that's not that's from Simonson's Orion series. Most of them, there's there's not that much burn in there, is it? I, I actually, there, I thought there was a good chunk of it. Because doesn't doesn't it start off being burn and then become Simonson, or am I not following that right? Was wh- I, all I remember is I for the there might be a couple of burn fourth world issues in there, but I think the majority of it is backups from the Orion series. Because it's got like the Frank Miller ends, uh, one shot, right? Yes, which is Simonson, and it's got the Chaken, and it's it's got a it's got a whole bunch of other stuff and yeah it's it's largely simonson but then there's a couple of cuz i think the the quote unquote origin of dark side uh is burn i think Maybe. it's pos- it's possible because that was definitely or dark side's origin was definitely in place um by the time simonson came on Orion. Oh, okay. So maybe that's it. Maybe it was a backup from, from the fourth world, from, from Burns' fourth world series. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I, most of those tales were actually really fine and charming and kind of interesting. Particularly the, the, the length that they, he, Simonson goes to set up Kanto as, you know, actually having been a 17th century Italian assassin or whatever. But again, you really should read Simonson's Orion, which the one trade that was released was of the first issues, which makes sense, but also the dullest issues in the series by far. Like yeah, it's, which it's is worth, where I it's worth, off, yeah. it's worth going back and like just grabbing some back issues. Grab yeah. the, I want to say it might be issue five or issue six, the Orion dark side to the death fight. Mm-hmm. And you'll just be like, oh, I get it. Yeah, you know, the thing that's horrible is I'm 90% sure I had that issue, read it, and it just, it gave me, um, to, to use an appropriately fourth world term, the anti-boner. You know, I just, uh, I just didn't I hope you said that with quotation marks. <laughs> I, I tried my best. Uh, so, you know, I, but, you know, WonderCon's coming up and more dollar bins to be found, so I, I will probably try and make a cheap investment and poke through those. And, and so talking them. about Darkseid's origin, Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see on Bleeding Cool? It has a lot of the depositions from the Kirby Marvel lawsuit. You know, and f- have, have you spent hours reading them like I have today? I just read the Larry Lieber one, which I... You which know, is the one I haven't read. Ah, But okay. holy crap, you have to read the Mark Evanier one. Oh, really? It's uh, contentious is a polite way of putting it. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Um... The Larry Lieber one was, I thought, largely un- unilluminating for the most part, in part because they, you know, Lieber's sort of like working on his memory. I mean, it was very interesting finding out that apparently he, you know, he prided himself on his ability to name stuff. And so he came up with the name Don Blake and Anthony Stark and uh, the Uru uh, Hammer and Thor and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, you know, a lot, it goes on and the basic gist of it seems to be that most of the stuff that he worked on from the originals were, you know, full scripts. Full scripts, yeah. Marvel style, yeah. I so, uh, definitely read the Romito one, the Thomas one, the Ebner one. Wow. That would be, that would it's, be amazing. It's, I mean, honestly, I, I'm not joking. I spent maybe two hours reading all of that this morning when yeah. I should have been doing like, you know, real things. <laughs> 
what could be more real than that? Is there any, any uh, particular science you want to drop on me and the listeners in advance then? Uh, about what? About the the Kirby or well, I mean, or like or about real things. <laughs> yeah, I guess. No, real I mean, things like are ju- things are just the jobs I have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, like, is there stuff that that is especially like? Uh, oh, that they're no. It's just interesting to see them parse uh, uh, who's responsible for creation, and also Romita and. Thomas, to a lesser extent, definitely Romita, gives a fairly good idea of how Marvel worked in the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, I mean, Lieber even had a little bit of that for the 50s, but like the idea of Romita, particularly Romita and Thomas, because those guys really were so responsible for, you know, setting up and running Marvel post-Stan, that I, I would think that that would be, like, great reading. So... Because that, that stuff's always fascinated me. Uh, in fact, I'm trying to think, where who was it who was talking about... Damn it, I'm not going to remember. There was a... Uh, years ago, I, I popped up on a panel, and I want to say it was... Gosh, was it Gary Friedrich's panel, I think, maybe? It was somebody where they were talking about how Marvel had, a, like, the bullpen had a, a special office set aside for the rare times, I think it was in the 70s, when somebody would come in to actually have to do work. Um, and I think, I want to say it was Stan, when Stan would come in or something like that, but I don't I don't recall. I would have to, it's one of those things that I really wish I had the notes for in front of me. But um, I, I love that sort of process stuff. Like, seriously, if there was, if there was somebody who actually talked about the day-to-day um, you know how everything worked at Marvel and DC, basically in the seventies. I would read that son of a bitch end to end. You couldn't footnote it heavily enough for me. So, um, no, that that sort of stuff is completely addictive to me as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder where where I might have ended up with that. Okay, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find more context for myself. Um. Hmm. Okay. Uh, la, 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 la. Well, yes. Any other comic things you wish to talk about, Graham? I'm uh, all I can talk about. Is... <laughs> you're like you're like I have nothing to talk about. Um, I'm something I'm going to talk about, and this is me stepping on my own toes because um, it's actually something I'm going to write about hopefully as soon as I a, get a chance and b get some time. But um, I picked up again in the one dollar bin the first ten issues of the Fury of Firestorm. Which was published in 1982, um, and what is fascinating to me about this is not the book itself, although it's a really surprisingly enjoyable book, um, but the text page in the first issue, where Jerry Conway talks about why he created Firestorm. Uh huh. And I'll just give you the first line, and you will know exactly where he's going. People just don't seem to be having much fun in comics anymore. <laughs> 1982. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's literally it's one of those, wow, nothing changes. Yeah, Once. exactly. Yeah, we've, we've come a long way, baby. Um, yeah, no, it, that's the sort of thing that, that people were getting uh, all his doubt about back then. Um, and and I, I sort of like I said, I kind of have that same sense of things by reading the um, the the various um, 
letter columns from uh, uh, Spider-Man at the time, too, which is kind of funny because some of them were being written while Jerry Conway was, you know, actually writing the stuff. But yeah, it's funny, though, because I didn't I mean, I, I knew. But when I was a kid reading it, I did not realize how much Firestorm is Spider-Man. Just like Nova is Green Lantern, I didn't realize how much Firestorm is Spider-Man. Right. Well, Nova is very much, I think, originally, it's what if Peter Parker were Green Lantern? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah so. very much. But no, I mean, Firestorm, had, Firestorm is Spider-Man turned upside down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a Josh Thompson comic. <laughs> but it is. Ronnie is Flash. Right. right. That's that's actually, that's pretty brilliant. Um, and it's, it's I can't I can't remember if, I don't think I realized it I think someone else like wrote about it once and I was like oh that's really interesting but then when I was reading these back issues I was like wow it's completely true <laughs> this is the Flash Thompson comic <laughs> that's really funny um, yeah no it's you know uh, it's yeah all these things are always true uh, it seems like you know and I appreciated the fact that there were a lot of guys who tried to reinvent the wheel because Nova was what 78 79 or something like that if that uh, no I want to say it's earlier I want to say Nova was like 76 77 uh, yeah it might be it might be it's maybe it's 77 the reason I'm saying that is I'm pretty sure I read it by the tiny kids in the British reprint Mm-hmm. And if I'm remembering that, that reprint's got to be 78, 79. Yeah, that makes sense. And my, my sense of time going back that far is just pathetic these days, unfortunately. I'm like, um, yeah, was that like 1982? Because I remember I was, oh, no, wait, I don't remember how old I was. <laughs> wait, that was 1997. Never mind. Yeah, sorry, sorry <laughs> about that. That was actually Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> I was quite baffled here. Okay, I'm actually going to find the goddamn fictional character. Here we go. Uh... I'm, uh, yeah, I'm sure you're right. It's 78. Uh, let's see. Publication history. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, very good. Nova de- debuted in Nova number one in 1976. Mm, mm, mm. See, I know my history from when I'm two years old. <laughs> Dude, I, that's the thing that's terrifying. I was 10, had the, bought the original issues, and I'm just kind of like, da, la, 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 la. No, but that, no, honestly, that makes sense. Like, I think that. Fine. When I was ten, I'm I placed in a certain nebulous zone anywhere between being aged like seven and fifteen. <laughs> right. right. It's like I got it at that point when I was a kid. The end. Right. <laughs> the end. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I you know I think I mentioned I'm I'm reading these ghostwriters, which is again pretty much the only thing I'm trying to actually like get have a little more stuff read by the next time we talk. Just saying, why do you just stop reading Ghost Rider and read something else? Because Ghost Rider is awesome. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not like it's awesome, really. Um, but it's, <laughs> so what you just said is Ghost Rider is awesome. It's not like it's awesome. Yeah, it's, no, I mean, it, 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 a good case can be made for its terribleness, but I mean, that's precisely the reason why I'm so fixated on reading it. Like, it's a very different book. I think the thing that's weird about it is, is it's not only a very different book from what's on the stands today, it's actually a pretty different book from what was being published by Marvel in 1980, which is the stage that I'm at now. Like, I'm still at, they just crossed a, you know, the 50th issue. So it's like, I'm on issue 51 of Ghost Rider, Wait, and how, he's... How long oh, no, did Ghost Rider run first time? I'm, 50, yeah. I'm um, really surprised it lasted that long. 
I know. Isn't it kind of amazing? It, it's gone on like a long time. In fact, the letters page in the back of the 50th issue is a checklist of Ghost Rider's, all of Ghost Rider's appearances. And there's there's really not that many appearances, you know? I mean, he very much Wait, he is. probably like, made it through. Holy shit, it went to 81 issues. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's that's so much longer than I would have guessed. I honestly would have guessed like 30. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, and that's the thing that's crazy is and, – and the thing that's kind of interesting about it is I don't uh, – I mean, again, the – I don't know if you saw, but on, on Twitter, I found one of the circulation statements for Ghost Rider, um, and this is oh, the no. previous issue, like issue 34 or something. Yeah. What's that? No, no, and, I, I, I'm talking about what you're talking about. I'd love to hear because it's probably remarkably high now, but terrible then. Right, right, exactly. Like they, like Ghost Rider was, as far as I can tell, like a toward the bottom of the list style title. That you know, until they had Mike Fleischer, like no one stayed for longer than six issues. What's fascinating is Fleischer, who had his kind of obsession, I think, as you know, with like almost the 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 Golden Age comics. It's the closest thing to reading a comic book from like 1939 or 1943 that's in the 80s, you know, like every issue self-contained. They are jammed full of like there's three or four different events, you know, like it's not just like there's usually a motorcycle gang that's like robbing somebody. And then there's the second hook where Johnny Blaze is like involved trying to like defend his like stunt world record from like a daredevil hotshot who's trying to like you know take his title and then there's usually something else um and he Fleischer will just jam all these events in like on these really like t- you know Don Perlin super tight unwieldy six page you know six panels to a page type grids it's a weird anomaly it sold um, in 1979, I think was the the thing where I found the circulation copy for the total number of copies that it sold: 135,000 copies. It had something uh-huh. like 240 or 250,000 printed. But you know, of course, the miracle of the newsstands back then being such a, a much stronger force that half of those issues got returned. Um, which means it's, but that so it, but it actually sold 135, and in some cases 140,000 copies. So that is 17, like 20,000 copies more than the death of the Human Torch sold. You know, that is a really curiously sobering fact. It yeah. ran for 10 years. Yeah. I'm yeah. looking at the dates right now. It ran yeah. from September 73 to June 83. Yeah. Oh, now, you, was... You're heading into some classy work, by the way. Oh, yeah. Bob Dude, I... is going to be writing and drawing by the time you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the stuff that I really I don't really have just looked it up. Here really is. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally believe it because it's kind of like where it's at now. I mean, it really is. It's the Charles Bukowski of comics. Like, there is four or five issues in a row where it's like Ghost Rider like comes to town in a blazing fiery motorcycle turns back into Johnny Blaze Johnny Blaze basically goes oh I'm so 
like d- d- drained from the ghost rider possessing my body. I need to find a dr- get a drink. And then he ends up in a bar and drinking for hours. And then inevitably, usually like either a woman takes a liking to him or someone tries to pick a fight for with him. But the story starts from there. But I mean, it really is. I'm like, it's, it's like Charles Bukowski is a supernatural motorcycle rider. And you that's know? why he's survived for 10 years. Cause honestly, that description you've just given it. I'll read that book. Yeah, I was about to say, now you understand why I'm just like, okay, one more. I have to see if there's another issue where there was a great – there's an issue of Ghost Rider where Ghost Rider is like completely t- – turns back into Johnny Blaze. He's completely exhausted. He climbs onto a train, falls asleep, and gets rolled by two hobos who look like Laurel and Hardy. Like they take his wallet Dude, and that, his that's ID. That's what happens in the <laughs> I was, and it was great. Like, I'm like, oh my God, like Don Perlin totally drew these as this creepy Laurel and Hardy characters who are like, you know, like rob Johnny Blaze and then throw him off a train. And of course, because they throw him off a train, he gets amnesia and ends up like. Because that's what happens when you fall off a train, Jeff. Well, of course, <laughs> you should know. You've ridden on a train yourself. Hey, I've fallen off countless trains. Remember those six months where I couldn't remember who I was and I was fighting crime in Detroit? Come on. We've all been there. <laughs> who hasn't, really? It's true. I guess I'm kind of a late bloomer. I never... Can I just say, I'm, I'm reading the um, the issue titles on comic book <laughs> database. Oh, are you? <laughs> oh, my God. Um I love how repetitive they are, and I don't know if it's intentional. Issue 51, The Diesel of Doom. Issue 53, The She-Witch of Doom. Issue 54, Orb of Evil, Eye of Doom. Yeah, I believe it. Or issue 73, Tears of a Clown. Issue 71, Tears of Adam Henderson. Are they saying Adam (laughs) Henderson is a clown? I think they are. I think they are. Yeah. No, I actually uh, – The Diesel of Doom was actually kind of a very weird, enjoyable story where it opens with Johnny Blaze being driven off the road by a uh, diesel truck um, and almost dying. Fortunately, the Ghost Rider saves him and then he goes to try and find the trucker and the trucker has mysteriously disappeared and then he changes back into Johnny Blaze ends up meeting a like rich um what's the right word uh the heir to a fortune whose car is broken down by the side of the road while they're in the process like johnny's helping him change the tire a cycle gang shows up of crooks who are there specifically to kidnap the rich heir um Ghost Rider manages to defeat most of them and then turns back to Johnny Blaze and then they get jumped by uh, two police dudes who, you know, show up as policemen who are actually more members of the gang in disguise who catch them, catch Johnny Blaze by surprise, sap him, take the, the rich air. Now, keep in mind, that's only the first 10 pages of the story. I'm not even going to bore you with the rest of it, Grant. But wait, 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 wait. How long is the story? It's a single issue. In fact, it's no, no, actually... No, no, how many pages? Uh, let me let me check. Because the thing that's crazy about that issue is it actually has a backup feature. It's got a complete story. What? Yes. And then Fleischer does a Tales of the Knight Rider um, backup piece that has, uh, you know, the Knight Rider, the original Ghost Rider yeah. character, um, has him pop up. So let's see here. This It's kind of amazing. Okay. So... 
yeah, Diesel of Doom. Um, let me jump up to... Uh, you've got three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen pages. It's a fifteen-page story. Holy everything crap. that I, everything that I described to you up to the motorcycle guy sapping Johnny Blaze on the head, um, that is on page eight. Of the story. See, they keep it moving. Say what they you do. like. He's he's not slowing down for anyone. Yeah, exactly. At five or six panels a page, jammed with lots of dialogue. So then the 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 trucker comes back, helps Johnny Blaze. It turns out that the trucker, of course, they don't actually come right out and say this, but Johnny Blaze is like riding along in the truck, and the truck is like the radio is playing like tunes from like. Uh, a different era and they've got commercials for products that aren't even being manufactured anymore and of course it's it's a ghostly truck it turns out later that you know the trucker had died um as a result of a, a motorcycle gang basically i guess killing him and so he rides the highway at night just like killing bikers and also helping the innocent which is kind of interesting like it's kind of like Oh, he kind of does both? Like, it's totally insane. So they manage to track down where the bad guys are. The trucker can't leave. Blaze turns into the ghost rider, jumps this wood cabin on his ghost cycle, and crashes in through the roof, scaring the hell out of everyone. Someone throws a, a vial of nitroglycerin in the ghost rider. Ghost rider then catches it and, laughing, puts it in his mouth and explodes his own skull and then proceeds to to fry everybody with hellfire. I should do. <laughs> I just want you to see why I'm not able to read anything else. <laughs> Ghost Rider has ruined me for every other comic. Pretty much. Je- Jeff Lester's shock claim. Yes, exactly. It should be on the cover of the of the the um Oh, I'm sorry. There's actually an, an extra page epilogue. So it's a 16-page story. Well, that changes they, everything, Jack. Come on. I know, doesn't it? Like, I know. I, I totally lied. And then they have a six-page, like I said, Tales of the Night Rider backup, drawn by Carmine Infantino and also written by Fleischer. Fleischer was absolutely batshit insane then. Yes. You have my, to be my, careful. My, my first discovery of Fleischer was... Um, when he wrote for 2000 AD in the, I guess it would be mid-90s, maybe early 90s. Really? And, he wrote and for 2000 AD? Say, he'd gone through the batshit insane and into the just dull. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he did a lot of 2000 AD work, most of which I seem to remember saw print pretty much because they'd already paid for it, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to it was good. And so it mm-hmm. seems like he was a permanent me- like member of the writing crew there for maybe three or four years. And apparently it was because he was just so fucking prolific that he sent mm-hmm. the shit in. Yeah. And then, like, well, I guess we've got to use it. Yeah, that's pretty much the standard here. Although a lot of people are like, you know, this is this is issue 51. He's been on the thing for, you know, years now, uh, in part because it switched from bi-monthly to monthly while he was working on it. And it's very much this idea of, like, they're like, eh, you know, the letters pages are like, well, sure, what are you going to do? Like, only now <laughs> are people starting to complain that the stories are too repetitive. But 
For a Marvel comic in 1980, the fact that the majority of these were done in ones, that there's no guest stars Which is, which is amazing. Yeah. It really is. It's like, how often does that happen yeah. in any Marvel comic? Yeah. So, I mean, it really is. It's it's like reading – the weird part is reading a 1980s comic book that feels as if it could have been written in like 1944 or 1945. Okay. So imagine that same feeling reading a 2008 quote-unquote science fiction strip. Right. Yeah, which I can't even – you know. I, again, I think like you said, there's kind of that element of taken on their own. Like if I had read most of these – and I think I mentioned I had jumped off reading Ghost Rider around issue 27 or 28, back basically when Roger McKenzie took over and was sort of working on the same formula but trying to make it more supernatural and with subplots and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I jumped off at that point because I thought it was too dull. I think I would have just hated this stuff. At, at, I, I know, ironically, you love it. Well, you know what it is. It's that weird, like, you can't, like, loving it's overstating it by too much. But No, no, I know what you mean, though. Being... There's a weird addictive quality to it. Yeah, exactly. That you can't, like, you're like, I'm not even sure I'm enjoying it, but I know I can't stop reading it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I imagine what's going to happen is I'll probably read the damn thing until it makes it to the end, the very convoluted end of the series. And then jump over and start reading other stuff, you know, rather than jumping in on the 90s reboot, which I'll have to tackle. It's what I've just discovered is the essential – there is a series of essential ghostwriter. Yes. Black and white books that goes – that runs all the way through that series. Oh, so they did actually collect the whole thing in, in – uh, all, the, all the way up – yeah, all the way up to issue 81, which is the last issue. And then there is a Spider-Man and New Defenders issues are collected, which presumably continues some form of story. Huh. Yeah, I guess that that would that wouldn't surprise me. I think, but um, I will. I'll have to see when I get there. It, it would. It, I have to say, it will really suck if you get all the way through that and it ends with a cliffhanger that you can't reach the conclusion to. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because you read eighty-one issues, they're like, "Timmy, continues in new defenders," and you be like, "What the fuck?" Well, it, there is also a sort of element of that that's kind of great because I mean, as you know, I'm reading this thing on the iPad and this is the the GIT Corporation DVD collection from a few years back. I also ha- I mean I have like the high water marks of Marvel Comics, you know. It's like I've got the Spider-Man and Fantastic Four collections. I've got all of, you know, the Silver Surfer run and I'm pretty much reading easily the stinkiest of the of whatever ended up being collected. But that on no, DVD. that actually completely makes sense to me because you're reading the stuff that is less familiar to you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's the stuff that, um, you know, apart from the essentials, hadn't been collected. As you point out, it's the stuff that I haven't read, so these are new comics to me. Um, but it, again, it's also fascinating looking at this stuff because, you know, people know Fleischer from Jonah Hex, and they also know him from The Spectre, but his run on Ghost Rider is got to be considerably larger than his run on the Spectre by now. Um, you know, because that was not especially long. It was just uh, controversial, you know. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm tracking down as we talk and um, why it continues in these particular issues. Uh, and it's, it seems to cross over into Secret Wars 2 at some point. 
Oh, really? Oh, God. I'm, I'm a long ways away from that. Thank, thank goodness. But it the series itself me. seems to finish before Secret Wars 2, and yet the Spider-Man issue that's collected is a Secret Wars 2 crossover. Hmm. Well, maybe that's interesting. Maybe maybe they pull Johnny Blaze in and cure him, or, or re, you know, the Beyonders like, I... I, I... I think it's the Mephisto issue. Ah, okay. That would make some sense. And then God knows why New Defenders is in there. Well, it makes sense in oh, a way. Maybe because yes. isn't Roxanne Simpson a Ghost Rider character? Yes, exactly. Johnny Blaze. Johnny Blaze is an issue. There you go. That's why. Yeah, yeah. So that, that sort of makes sense. Well, and toward the end of New Defenders, I remember that there's a big conclusion about, you know, I think where J.M. Dematius takes all the satanic characters and sort of wraps them up kind of wraps up the whole Son of Satan, Hellcat, Satan kind of thing. I don't know if you remember and that. This is going to seem very weird, but the second of the new Defenders issues that's collected in Central Ghost Rider Volume 4 mm-hmm. um, is one of my earliest comic memories. I'm looking at the cover and I'm like, holy shit, I remember my friend David had that comic and I thought the cover was awesome. <laughs> what's, on, what's the cover? It's... Um, it's Nick Fury and the Defenders sort of jumping towards the reader against an American flag. Wow. <laughs> and the issue is called Sergeant Fury and his Howling Defenders. <laughs> That's very clever. What issue is that? Uh, 147. That's really funny. Wow, 147. Yeah, that's just, just before it gets cancelled. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, ah, oh, I totally I mean, forgot it's that's right. I mean, issues before it gets cancelled. Uh, oh, no, it's not. It goes, went on to 152. For some reason, I was convincing. Died at 150. Got axed at 150. Um, oh, guess who, the, guess who the penciler by the time it gets cancelled is? Don Perlin. Don Perlin, yeah. Yeah, because he did, he, he was kind of this supernatural guy. I have to say, I loved Perlin's work on Werewolf by Night. I loved Werewolf by Night when I was a kid. Like, that was another book that was strangely, like... You know, the, uh, I guess because of my age, being born in '66, when I really hit the height of my, you know, Marvel fanaticism, like around seven or eight, was right when all of the supernatural titles were gearing up and coming out of uh, Marvel. So, all those weird, you know, like Werewolf by Night, I remember reading and loving, and of course, you know, Master of Kung Fu, which was such an oddball title, which ran for such a long time. It's amazing how long that ran. I mean, because of course it was kind of awesome, but you know, the 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 amount of the thing that's really weird about Marvel is it's like it's like fusion cuisine. You know what I mean? Like it's it's still superhero comics even when it's not, and yet consequently it feels less like superhero comics than superhero comics are today. You know, so even though you've got guys with like you know super you know, with their underwear on the outside, you know, the pervert suits, like running around and like saying things and trying to rob banks, you know, and yet because your character turns into a werewolf, you know, four nights out of the month and is always on the verge of like killing some member of his family, it's kind of a, it's a really weird, it's a really weird mix, you know, it's not, I don't really feel like you see a lot of that in comics today. I am... giving you a frowny look for you, the use of the term perverts. You, oh, yeah. You're not Warren Ellis. It is not <laughs> 1999. It's time to retire it. 
<laughs> well, I couldn't uh, – part of it is as the brain gets older, Graham, I'm like, what would I call that? Like it's not the – you know, his costume, right? You know, and yeah. yet I was having the worst time hitting that word. So I was like, eh. I'm going to go with the other, you know, this is like underwear on the outside. Plus, I'm talking about dudes like the hangman. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not exactly talking about, like, Dr. Doom and stuff. But I agree. With respect. Oh, sure. Says (laughs) you, my friend. Says you. You totally, like, were bagging on Ghost Rider until you started reading how awesome it was. And now you're kind of obsessed. No, really. You're going to have to fight to get me to read a Ghost Rider book. Well, you know, it's, it's just it's just not a thing. It's like even in Defenders collections that I love, as soon as they start getting crazy supernatural, I tune out. Yeah. Yeah, it can totally make sense because it's kind of – it's not really very superhero-ish, is it? You know? Yeah, it's, it's just like, huh, okay then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I think you really kind of have to have, be somewhat inoculated with a, with a love of this stuff. Um you know, although I don't think that necessarily explains why. I guess people were just a little more freeform about the occult back then, anyway. But it, <laughs> you know what I mean? In the seventies, when people were just like, "Hey, you're part of an occult group. Come on in." <laughs> and then you have like a sort of like play by after dark type party. Was like, "Welcome to our lunch club." See. I think this is the sure sign that you've become bored with my opinions. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is, Jeff. I'm glad you picked up on that. Because <laughs> I admit that is actually an awesome take on it too. Uh, I would gladly, I would gladly see that version of the occult. Do you uh, remember, or were you reading? Um, I guess it was the Spectre, Doug Munch's Spectre, or uh, in like, mm-hmm. the late eighties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, mid eighties, I think maybe. Yeah, it was. It was definitely post crisis, but I couldn't tell you when. Right. Because um, it was when they did new format books. You remember new format? Yes. Mm-hmm. The pages were slightly whiter, slightly thicker. New format. Yeah. Um, it had an issue of like that was like a supernatural get together. That was just like that. <laughs> like the spirits hanging out with like Zatanna and Dead Man and all that. They're just like shooting the shit. Well, wasn't wasn't Spectre? Oh no, I was going to say, wasn't he romancing? Who's romancing Madame Xanadu? Madame Xanadu. I remember? Yeah. yeah, there was that that one issue of Madame Xanadu. Gray Morrow was drawing it or whatever, yes. and they totally printed it so that she was pretty damn naked. Uh, well, it was again Gray Morrow was drawing it. Yeah, exactly. So, well, and so he'd always had these, you know, like kind of the. It was one of those deals where they decided to go transparent on the wispy sheets covering her or something like that. And it was like, hey, nudity <laughs> in my DC comic. Awesome. And I hey, come on. That's... If that was like 1988 or something, then you were beyond the age where you should be like, hey, the drawn character is naked. Dude, I'm you sorry. I was 22 <laughs> years old. Naked characters being naked was totally fine. You know. Naked character is naked. It feels like you're taking on a whole new way of being. It's true. It's true. Um, no, but, you know, because there's that thing of, like, uh, yeah, obviously I'm in my 20s, but there's that weird thing where it's, like, when nudity sh- ends up in areas where you don't expect it, and you're like, well, hello. <laughs> What's that? When nudity goes wrong. Exactly. I mean, admittedly, it wasn't in, like, the pages of Superman or something like that. It'd be kind of creepy. But in the Spectre, it was kind of like, oh, hey. And Gray Morrow, he draws a good naked woman. It's not like... Uh... Okay, Gray, 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 Gray. 
I'm sorry. What's that? I think either Skype cut out or you just started garbling. What? <laughs> yeah, Skype is going super weird, actually. Are, are you getting lots of experience as well? Uh, yeah, you seem to have faded like sort of a little bit into the background. Uh, and then at that stage, I really, honestly, I could not hear what you were saying at all. So, I, I said Gray Morrow draws a good everything. Uh, he does. He does. Yeah, agreed. Um, although it's kind of interesting. He's somebody that I wish had like better inkers and stuff like that because he's got such a his line weight is a little too even, you know what I mean? It's very light and I always felt like he needed a stronger uh, inker to like bring out his blacks, especially more in the But didn't the, he always ink himself? Stage. I think he probably did, which might have been part of the problem for me, you know? There are artists who really shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, they do not, they do not bring their own strengths out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh... Some might say Don Perlin, although he's actually, because he's he's actually doing the art and inking himself on Ghost Rider, so uh, and and is apparently a workhorse, which is fascinating because there's times where like, again, to just keep coming back to the Ghost Rider thing until you want to hit me with a rock. There's a great like two-parter that ends with Ghost Rider being thrown back in time to the old west, pretty much so that he can team up with and meet Knight Rider, but the uh, Indian uh, witch woman who does this of course she's like an old crone at the beginning and then as she moves him back in time she herself de-ages to a lovely woman uh, so that's kind of the end of the one issue the next issue opens up I swear to god same artist he sort of jumps back you know with the whole you know he basically redraws the sequence and draws the woman entirely differently it's kind of fascinating. I was it's like, cause, it's because he forgot. He might have. He might no, I, have. I think there are some times where, where the artists are like, especially when, for want of a better way of putting it, it was a paycheck and they didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they don't even really care to like check their own reference or anything. They're like, oh, it's a woman. Okay. Well, or they didn't snap is, their own here reference. Here is a woman. <laughs> I mean, that's back in the days where you're mailing in your original art, so it's not really like you can check it at a certain point. You know what I mean? Like, there is a gray zone where it's like where, you send it off to the yeah, office, where, but it has the same print. Where were Ramita's Raiders fixing that, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Ramita's Raiders. Uh, one of whom was probably an eight-year-old John Ramita Jr. Oh, no, but, oh, no. At that point, Ramita Jr. had been on Bolton Bolton's uh, as Honk of the Month. Oh, that's right. That's right. In fact, I was trying to remember what was the issue that I read where he did the fill-in. He was like one of the inkers for like Spider-Man post-150, pre-160 or something like that. Maybe 152 or 153. It was Ramita doing the art, and it was a ton of people doing the ink, uh, inking. And they mentioned John Ramita Jr. as one of about you know five or six names that had helped out with the inking. And at the time, I was like, oh, my God, that kid must have been young back then. But, yeah, maybe not, because, like you said, he's hunk of the month by, jeez. Like it's, it's early. It's like 81 or 82, isn't it? Really? I would have thought it would have been later, but because I, I think I totally gave up on X-Men in, like, 85 or 86, which was around the time he took over. That was, like, the build-up to 200. Wasn't 200 in, like, 1985 or 1986 or something like that? I think that? it was, like, 86, just from sort of dating myself. Um, right. But, yeah, but by that point, he'd, he'd been on Spider-Man. 
Right, he'd been on Spider Man and He took Iron over Man, he took over X Men yeah. at one seventy five. Uh he sort of, yeah. I mean he ends he, up at the tail did, end of Yeah, he did he did half of one seventy five or something. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does uh, he does the all the stuff that Paul Smith doesn't do in that issue. So And and it's a that, it's a market I re- What's that? I remember when I read that as a kid and I did not notice the change. And like, <gasps> like now I'm like <laughs> oh, <laughs> as a kid I didn't notice the change. Well, you know, you're younger then. It totally makes sense, you know? There's tons of stuff that I missed when I was a kid where I'm like, huh, I'll be damned. They didn't draw Spider Man with, you know, any pants for like five full pages here. I wonder how that got through. You know, and like, but yeah, no, to me that I just remember like, because Paul Smith's art was so gorgeous. And going from that to Romito Jr. at the height of his like spindly stylization, I was just like, oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Bulky stylization he does now. Yeah, I, honestly, I honestly think Romito's art now, Romito Jr.'s art, I should say, now is, is ugly. And I used to love his work to pieces. And these days, I find a struggle to get through it. I actually like it. Although, admittedly, not in any way where I've gone out of it. Uh, there were have, have, people... you see, have you seen his Avengers work lately? No, no, no. Well, see, this is my point. Is when I say I like it, I have yet to go out of my way to pick it up. Like, if I don't like the writer. So, like, I probably could have, like, I jumped off of the Marvel crossover thing, so I didn't bother with World War Hulk. I don't read Mark Miller, so I didn't read Kick-Ass. And I yeah. gave up on Bendis, so I didn't read his Avengers. So. I'd honestly say it's somewhere around that era that it started going wrong. Hmm. He honestly stopped. Like, there's something about his art now that I'm just finding, like, completely confusing layouts. His body types have gone to shit. His faces have gone to shit. Mm. And it's just like his stylization has just continued to a point where I'm like, yep, it's okay. Right. Right. Well, you know, honestly, that one issue of, uh, you know, the the Punisher Dark Reign, the list or whatever, a.k.a., you know, Frank Castle gets it. Ramita Jr. did the art on that. I loved it. I actually thought that was fine. But, you know, but The Punisher is supposed to be an ugly book. Build, I, I think filled with wrong. Black <laughs> What's that? I just think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Because you, sir, are a huge Punisher fan. I am. I, 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 every single appearance of Frankie Castle. Little Frankie Castle. I'm little Frankie Castle. Wouldn't that be great, like Little Archie, if they just had, like, the Little Punisher story? Little, little Frankie, and he's wearing, like, a t-shirt that's, like... Half skull, <laughs> dude. It can and he can have a water pistol. Oh god, quick! Just genius. And he punishes the criminals who are like the other kids who like no, pull pranks bu- around the neighborhood bullies. and stuff. He punishes the bullies with his water right. pistol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bullies and also the kids who like are stealing pies off of windowsills and things oh, like that. Oh god, quick! Call Tom Brevoort right now. <laughs> Yeah, I could really see. Actually, the worst, the thing that drives me crazy about Tom Brevoort is I could see him be like, I love it. It's just like Little Archie. We'll never publish this while I live, you know? Because he's, you read Tom Brevoort on Twitter and he will talk about stuff that he loves. And you're like, this guy's got pretty good taste. And then he talks about some of the books he's working on. And it's like, oh, Tom. <laughs> Welcome to modern comics, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Uh, dear. I, I always love it when the people are like, you know, 
And, you know, when I grew up, you had all this variety, and we did all these type of things. I loved this, and my favorite book was Amethyst, Princess of Gem World. And right. so that's why I'm watching the seventh Wolverine title. Right. And you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> How did that? What? How? Huh? Well, I was I was talking I was talking to somebody about their Doctor Strange pitch, where they were like, "Oh, I've got this great Doctor Strange pitch," and they laid it out. It was pretty good, and I really kind of didn't have the heart to tell them, like, like, like everybody in comics has a Doctor Strange pitch. Nobody in comics wants to read a Doctor Strange book. You know what I mean? It's like everyone wants to write it. I will I will disagree with you. When Brian K. Vaughan did his Doctor Strange series, that was awesome. Yeah, no, I quite enjoyed it. I don't think it sold very well, though. No, I probably sold for shit. Yeah, exactly. And it, but and I it was only to read it, two... in my point. Me, yeah. me. Yeah. No, I, I, I thought that, that was, like, the best the character had been handled in some time, which, considering it was hot on the heels of that horrible JMS reboot, wasn't really saying much, in a way. But, but like, remember when they did the whole, like, ooh, Brother Voodoo's now the new Doctor Strange. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that worked. <laughs> yeah, well, see, and that's what I'm saying, is, is I'm sure there are people who are like, oh my god, this is the Doctor Strange pitch I've had in me forever. I, I love as well Brother when they watched that, they were like, this is the way it's gonna be! Right. This is the new Center Supreme. Everyone, like within like two months, they were like, "We're canceling the book." <laughs> <laughs> we realize none of your interest is. We will be undoing this in about four months. Which is after... kind of hilarious because I feel that when DC fucks up, like they just these days they at least try and keep quiet about it for a bit, whereas Marvel would just like outright undo it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like. Remember we said that Venom was definitely going to be the Scorpion? No, he's not. <laughs> now he's Flash, okay? He's Flash Thompson. He's not the Scorpion, okay? And you know, like, they'll be like, remember when we said Flash was this, was Venom? No, he's right. not. It's Eddie Brock. Eddie Brock is back. You know, didn't they bring back Eddie Brock? Eddie Brock is, is anti-Venom. Oh, is he really? No, no, really. That's, that's the character's name. I was about to say, like, that's not, uh, like, I had that moment of, like, what, what, he's, like, vaccination? Like, what, what, no, 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 you're right, anti-venom. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Jeez. You know, it's kind of, like, all the crazy stuff that DC did where you're, like, oh, boy, that's really childish and dopey. Like, Venom is pretty much, like, the Marvel kind of version of that, where it's just kind of, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, like, hey, there's no idea so stupid you can't turn it into a Venom miniseries. It's like, hey, no, wait, yeah, Spawn of yeah. Venom, yes. He was a lethal protector. Come on. Right, exactly. Venom, lethal protector. Because that, like, that's think... the thing. Because protectors, when you say protector, I think lethal. Because <laughs> protection and lethal, they go together like chalk and cheese. It, sound, it does sound like some sort of weird contraception, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> it really does. Like something you would like read like on those like websites where e- English has been like badly mangled by people and it's like venom, lethal protector, you know, and it's like got a condom on it or you know, Honestly, like, the, the lethal protector either sounds like a, a really badly named sex aid or it's uh, it always made me think when I was a kid that someone had seen lethal weapon. Right, exactly. Which is probably cool. Which, you know, it's probably thinking they got, like, identity disc and everything. But just talking about sexy, it reminds me, you haven't seen the Onion TV show yet, have you? I've seen segments. I don't watch it regularly. Did you see the, the joke about the massage? The personal massager? No. 
<laughs> the product recall when the people who make the personal massager realize that people are using it to fork not what it was intended for and it comes to press conference and like you see it it looks like a vibrator and it comes to press conference this little guy just be like jeez come on people <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> uh, the, the onion has had like two weeks now of just incredibly funny uh comedy last uh, last week it was the cute piglet that was actually uh an al-qaeda digital attack on america's internet <laughs> so everyone moved forward this picture of a piglet in boots to each other and they're like hey, we will undo america because everyone will be laughing at this cute pig <laughs> um, and then this week it was the real obama has been found he was kidnapped on the day of inauguration and that's why obama has been shit that is beautiful. And like That's some Photoshop photos of like this Obama being wrapped in blankets carried out of a house. <laughs> and then like we found the fake Obama. He was at a grand bus station. He's an out of work actor who was paid. <laughs> like all this thing. And then they're like, you know, Obama is in the hospital recovering. He's already planned a 17 hour speech for tomorrow to prove to America that they can still believe in him. <laughs> I really hope that Obama's smart enough to play that card. I really do. <laughs> if I were him, I'd be like, I don't care if it's been on the uh, Onion News. I'm going to use it. Uh, this will work. So, uh, well, so are you going to play us out, King Cat, uh, Keyboard Cat, since it's 3.32? <laughs> play us out, King Cat is great. Like, I'm like, oh, play us out, King Cat is your new series. Um, I, are you saying that we should drop off? Do you have somewhere to be, Jeff? I well, it's more the idea of. Like, I know. I I feel we should gossip. I feel we should get off this and gossip, my friend. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. Play it out for our listeners, because yeah, I've got a whole bunch of stuff I want to gossip about. So. Oh, you do? Well, no, I mean not really. Oh, I just I, want to I, poke I, your brain about my book, and then uh, damn your eyes! Exactly. <laughs> I know you were so excited. I'm like, I'm oh wait, I've got nothing. Uh, uh, okay, nice. Listeners, thanks for listening to us for this hour and a half, and I hope that Jeff managed to edit up all the edit out all the terrible, terrible parts where Skype sort of fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, that's gonna be kinda of tough, Graham. But I will do what I can, and we will catch you here next week. <laughs>